Hi, and welcome into another edition of the Russell Street Report. I'm Tony Lombardi. The Ravens beat the Oakland Raiders on Sunday at M&T Bank Stadium by the score of 34-17 behind Lamar Jackson, who's now 2-0 as the Ravens starter, and the Ravens advance to 6-5 on the season, and at the moment, they still hold the number six seed in the AFC playoff race. The Ravens ran the ball 43 times against the Raiders, averaging in a very impressive 5.6 yards per carry. Gus Edwards leading the way, the first time an undrafted free agent has rushed for 100-plus yards in consecutive games since 2014. A couple other telling stats, the Raiders had just four first downs in the second half with a total second-half time of possession of 8 minutes and 19 seconds. The Raiders were just 3 of 13 on third-down conversion attempts throughout the game, and they were only, only netted 94 yards of offense after the break. The Ravens really shut them down. It's always good when you get a score from your defense and your special teams on your way to victory. Now the Ravens head to Atlanta after being home the entire month of November. They had the bye and three home games, and they'll take on the Falcons. They open up as three-point road favorites in Atlanta. Joe Flacco, he might be ready to go on Sunday. He might not be ready. But if he is ready to go, will he be the starter? Or will the Ravens continue to ride the momentum train established by Lamar Jackson? Is there a quarterback controversy in Baltimore? There just might be. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll talk to Dev Panchois about the Raiders, Ravens' performance against the Raiders. And later on in the program, we'll be joined by WJZ-TV's Mark Viviano. So don't go away. Keep it set here on the Russell Street Report. And welcome back to the Russell Street Report. I'm Tony Lombardi. Before we went to break, we said we'd be joined by Russell Street Report's longtime contributor, Dev Pantois. Dev, welcome into the program. Hey, Tony. Thanks for having me. Good to see you again, buddy. It's been a while. Congrats, oh. congrats on the nuptials one more time. Thanks again, and uh, appreciate you, you making it out for the wedding. That was, a, that was awesome. Yeah, great time. And, uh, yeah, thank you. We, we, we loved having you and Ruthie there, so thank you so much. And, all good stuff. So let's get into some lesser important stuff, the Baltimore Ravens. Now, the Ravens have been successful the last two games with Lamar Jackson behind center. Just your overall feelings in watching Lamar in two games. You know, the first one, he's out there and not really much tape on him as a professional. The second one, the Raiders had the opportunity to prepare for him a little bit more because there was tape on the Bengals game. Mm -hmm. Talk about what you saw, what you liked, what you didn't like, and, you know, as re it relates to Lamar Jackson. Yeah, so a few things that stood out uh, for me. One was that I thought he did a better job with his footwork, the timing of his throws, the rhythm. Uh, if it was a one-step drop, he got the ball out on one. You saw that on the slant to Michael Crabtree. That's a good illustration of where I think he can be a good pocket passer. And I think he can go through his progressions. And in some ways, honestly, the ball got out quicker at times than we've seen with Joe. It just maybe it's a, uh, Maybe it's a byproduct of... Lamar being locked into his mechanics a little bit more, and Joe being a veteran, sometimes we know he goes off of that in his footwork. So that really popped in the Raiders game, and I thought was much better. I think Lamar also 
uh, did a good. He's doing a fantastic job with the run game, clearly, and making decisions within the read option, whether to keep the ball, whether to hand it off with Gus Edwards. Uh, you saw a little bit of the, a flub with the fumble exchange, but other than that, it's been very clean, and he's done a terrific job overall of reading the defense and making decisions. Um, what I would say in terms of things that he, you know, popped out in terms of uh, miscues, clearly yesterday we saw the first of those rookie quarterback mistakes, whether it was, you know, not keeping track of the play clock uh, after the big play that they had, and then also the, the miscommunication with Marty Morningweg. Uh, you saw a couple of times they just they, they didn't get those things squared away, which we didn't see in the Bengals game. You saw that pop up in the uh, game against the Raiders, though. Well, it's a lot to process for a rookie quarterback, and he's, you know, jumping right into the middle of a pennant race, trying to make their way into that number six seed, or maybe even better, number five seed, if the Los Angeles Chargers falter a little bit. But you know, so you got to got to give him a lot of credit for his poise, really. But yep. the one concern I have, Dev, watching him play, is when he has to throw the ball outside the numbers. That concerns me a little. Yeah, and so that yesterday was encouraging. The throw to Mark uh, Andrews on on the run, he, he timed it really well. Again, this gets back to when he timed his throw, the ball's out in front of the receiver. He saw that also on the throw to John Brown, which didn't count, uh, unfortunately, because of the Orlando Brown uh, hold. But yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, you know, still in terms of accuracy, they haven't attempted too many of those outs. They haven't attempted too many of those comeback routes. I think that's a, there's a reason for that, because. In terms of him getting the ball on a line and it being accurate, it's still not showing up. And well, it'll be interesting to see if they try that more. But everything is kind of inside right now, and he's got good timing on those throws. And, and the ball's getting when the ball gets out in front of the receivers, they're able to make something happen. So that's a positive. But yeah, I, I'm with you. The outside throws, the accuracy is still very much in question. The Ravens ran the ball 43 times against the Raiders, Dev. And they average 5.6 yards per carry. Pretty impressive. Talk about the differences of the Ravens' offense when Lamar is playing quarterback, running the football versus Joe, and what defenses have to account for, and probably leads to a lot of that success that they've had. Well, just think of it. Uh, it's all about a horizontal running game, right? I mean, left to right, sideline to sideline. That's the action. The linebackers are moving sideline to sideline a lot more because of it. they're anticipating the possibility of Lamar Jackson getting out of the pocket. And so all of a sudden you're having to account for that. And then at the same time, the Ravens have, I think, adeptly, and you got to give the coaching staff credit for looking at Gus Edwards and saying, this guy pops the run inside so quickly, he doesn't dance around like Alex Collins does. So he's getting on top of these linebackers immediately as they have to account for potentially Lamar Jackson getting out outside of the pocket. So think of it, thinking also about eye dis discipline if you're a linebacker, right? You're having to account for two different, three different at times, if they incorporate Montgomery too into this, three different run plays out of one formation. That's a lot of stress to put on, especially on the inside backers. That's a lot of stress to put on them. And even if they have a false step, a slight false step, or their eyes aren't there, all of a sudden, Gus Edwards is on top of them, plowing through them. So that's kind of what's been going on. And if you notice, one of the things I track Tony uh, in the Raiders game in particular, first down run efficiency, five yards, four yards a clip. Easy, easy money there. Now you're all of a sudden second down and four, second down and five, and they're getting that on the regular. Uh, so that's what I'm seeing in terms of what 
the offense is doing to the de- the defense in the front seven in particular, just really stress stressing them uh, horizontally, laterally, and that's and that's led to a better inside rushing attack. Well, it's kind of common knowledge in most sports, really, but when you can make players think a little bit more about what they can expect when they think too much, they don't play as fast, and I think that that. When you have that suddenness of Edwards being such a north and south guy, he's the first undrafted free agent since I think 2006 that has consecutive back-to-back 100-yard games. So pretty impressive out, you know, and also impressive from the coaching perspective to recognize that for Lamar Jackson, he's a better fit. Oh, absolutely! And you think about what they did in the bye week to make that commitment. That's not an easy thing. You think about Collins and Buck having a lot more seniority, having the, the, the carries. They totally transformed everything and trusted a, an undrafted rookie. And he's, he's really paid dividends for them. But got to give them credit. That's not an easy decision to make. You, you're taking a huge chance. But, you know, his style is, is – re- and, and I've heard a comparison, Tony, to him being kind of a poor man's Frank Gore. Uh, and that's interesting because Greg Roman obviously coached Frank Gore and had some monster – years with Frank Gore as his, as his bell cow. So I could see that a little bit of, he can slide a little bit more than you would, you would be able to notice. And he's a little bit more shifty than people than than can, than you would expect, but he's, he's really hard to tackle and they've made the right decision in terms of him being a better North South runner. Yeah, he really is a good North South runner. And it's interesting to see how decisive he is. And, and I think you also have to give credit to, the fact that he has fresh legs. He hasn't played a lot this season. And when you get fresh legs in November, now soon to be December, that's important in the NFL. Yeah, and that's a great point, too, uh, for sure. And he, and that, that, you have to ride that wave right now. They're getting him involved at the right time late in the year. Usually when you have a rookie starting the year, those carries catch up and they hit a wall. So right now they're, they're actually able to ride him and really go all out. And you saw Montgomery mixed in now that he's kind of understanding the offense. So it was a nice tandem. And I think it'll be interesting to see how they work Alex Collins back into the mix, if at all. Shifting sides of the football, let's talk about the defense a little bit. Matt Judon had three sacks on three consecutive plays against the Raiders. I think that's the first time that's been done since 2006 when it was, I believe, Culling Kendrick or somebody like that from the Green Bay Packers did it. and But I think with the fact that Judon's been pretty quiet for a while, yep. what did you see yesterday that, that, hasn't, that wasn't the same, other than the fact that he pretended to be Bo Jackson and run into the tunnel on third down? But outside of that, what did you see from Judon in this game or perhaps even the previous couple of games that's a little bit different than earlier in the season when he was struggling? Yeah, I just think he did a better job of, of pursuit. Uh, you know, and I think just fighting through the blocks. I made a point yesterday, uh, and this was it was perfectly timed, of course, on Twitter that I say that the pass rushers aren't getting off of blocks, and then all of a sudden, boom! Like he's he's getting off of blocks, and he's able to just kind of work through. He doesn't have any moves that I can see. I mean, that's one of the things he he does have a good first step, but he's he's got power, and I think the power showed up yesterday. So his biggest problem. From that standpoint, from a technique standpoint, is consistency. And he just does, and he's done this before. We think we think back to the Packers game last year where he had a huge game, and he comes in and waves, and, and and at times gets really quiet. So you have to hope that this is the starting point of building off of the ability to use his hands and kind of keep pers- uh, 
trying to pursue better and stay after it better in terms of fighting through blocks. And I think that goes for the entire group because one thing is, is clear, I think, with Wink is he's using a lot more four-man pressures and trying, at least the last couple of weeks, he's been, tr- he's been relying more on that front. And if you're going to do that, the front has to be able to, to win their one-on-one blocks. Yeah, well, when you looked at some of the stats from yesterday's game, I'm going to read a few of them to you, Deb. The Ravens, Derek Carr started the game 4 of 5 and then went 11 of 29 the rest of the way. There's a guy that I thought was going to be a special quarterback, Dev, and he didn't look any, he looked anything but special yesterday. There were some open receivers for mm-hmm. some big gains that he missed yesterday. I wonder if it's just confidence-based. I really do. Because remember, this is the same guy that tore the Ravens up uh, a couple of years ago and, and had that you know, drop in the bucket throw to Matt Michael Crabtree in the back of the end zone. A thing of beauty. And a lot of that was anticipation throws. Like He was seeing guys open, or not even having to see guys open. He was able to throw on time and, and, and get it to the spots in a way that we thought he's going to be a special franchise quarterback. And it's just all gone. And I think part of it is he has taken a lot of hits. The offensive line that they had that they built up a couple of years ago is not the same line. They're not nearly as good as their, you know, their name recognition um, has been. So I think that's part of it. And and he's just dealing with a lot of confidence issues. And you're right. I mean, he missed some throws in this game, and, and guys were open. So uh, you know, and it's surprising because Gruden is such a quarterback uh, whisperer in his own right, and has been able to develop quarterbacks. So it's not looking like a good fit. Maybe he's just a gun shy quarterback at this point that's taken too many hits and has lost his confidence. We're speaking with Dev Panchwaf from the Russell Street Report. Dev, looking at the defense, I know statistically they're the number one defense in the league yardage-wise, and they've given up the fewest points per game, 18, than any team in the NFL. But does do they pass the eyeball test for you? Because I just see that this is a team that in some ways has been very fortunate that quarterbacks haven't completed or connected on some of the plays that have been available for them in the last couple of games. Yeah, that, that's a fair point. Uh, and to answer your question, no. Uh, it's interesting. They look more like a bend but don't break defense in a lot of ways. They, they're they not giving up the yards that will – Gene Peets that just left. That sounds pretty familiar. Yeah, and I, I hate to say this, but in, in some ways, you know, Pease I thought was a little bit more exotic with some of his – his pressure packages. So it's interesting. There's times when I think with Wink presents in terms of their third down pressures and their blitzes, it's very uh, vanilla to me at times. I mean, they they're 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 if they show linebackers coming, they come. They don't. I mean, if they don't come, it's it's pretty easy to look to from a quarterback's perspective. I would imagine to kind of just see what they're what they're doing. But you know, getting back to the overall defense. Uh, yeah, they 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 don't tend to give up big plays, so that's a plus, right? They're they're very good at that. Their coverage is excellent on the back end. They do make it difficult for quarterbacks to complete passes at times. We've seen them also get eaten up on the inside routes against better quarterbacks. You saw that in the Panthers game. You saw that in the Saints game. So is it a byproduct of just who they play? You know, when they play a better quarterback, they do get attacked in their vulnerable spots, which is on the inside, and then their slot. Uh, corner, I mean, position, Tavon Young, when he's been in, in the lineup at times, has been attacked. So overall, though, there's not a lot of major holes to exploit, but there's enough there that I think better offensive teams will be able to take advantage of them. Uh, we'll find out a lot more going forward with the Chargers coming up, Falcons coming up this week, and then uh, Kansas City on the docket. 
And you look at the Ravens' defense at times, Deb, they just fail to create pressure. Yep. You, know, you mentioned you know, the lack of exotic looks and rather predictable blitz packages and things like that. And quarterbacks have had a lot of time to throw the football, and I don't care who you are on that back end. If quarterbacks get all day to throw, they're going to pick you apart. I think that has a lot to do with why the Ravens, despite having a 6-5 and five record and being the number 6 seed in the AFC at, at the moment, they are minus 6 in turnovers, and that's 6th worst in the NFL. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's maddening at times. Why? It's maddening to see the, the lack of pressure. It's taken a nosedive. And especially the last few games, if anything, I think the coverage being as good as it's been, it's helped the defense not be nearly as bad in certain ways, right? The coverage has actually been so tremendous that they have been able to get off the field and enforce those incompletions. Um, now, granted, quarterbacks have missed some throws, but these are some tighter windows they've had to throw in. So, But the, it's not been a byproduct of being forced to throw the ball quicker or, or there hasn't been pressure that's made these quarterbacks hurry their throws. We did see a couple of those instances against Carr. Now, what stood out to me was the lack of, of, of bringing numbers in the blitz game. I, again, a lot of front four pressures. There wasn't much that Derek Carr had to deal with. He got flushed out on the one play, and he threw the, the throw to, to Cook, and Cook just made an amazing touchdown grab that you're not going to see too many times. That's one of the best catches I've seen in the last 10 years, and that's not an exaggeration just because it's harder to, to to stop your momentum and go get go get the football and keep your feet in the way you did. So if that's what's going to happen when you bring pressure, if you're worried about plays like that happening, I mean, I, I don't know. I think you got to take more chances. That's really the key here to force some of those turnovers. And I agree with you. The pressure or the lack thereof is the biggest reason why I think they are in the hole that they are from a, a, a turnover to, to the, with a turnover margin being as bad as it is. Now we're talking with Dev Panchois from Russell Street Report. Dev, flipping back over to the offensive side of the football, a few things happened yesterday I thought were interesting in terms of the development of Lamar. He took some shots downfield. One was called back because of a holding penalty against Orlando Brown Jr. But overall, I, I thought he threw the ball deep very well. But do you think just the just overall assessment of the game in terms of the offensive game plan, are you happy with the way Marty Morningweg is employing the skill set of Lamar Jackson? I would say on a scale of 1 to 10, like I'm at a 7 or an 8, which is really good for me because I kind of, you know, I do, don't hold back when it comes to Marty. I, I don't, but I think he's done a very good job. And maybe it's a combination of Marty, Greg Roman, all those guys together kind of in the lab, figuring out how to best, you, you know, get Lamar Jackson comfortable and also at, at the same time incorporate all these elements. We're talking about the read option. We're talking about RPOs. We're talking about the zone read. Uh, you're talking about multiple shifts and motion, right? They're not doing everything. They're not necessarily, you know, this isn't Andy Reid right now. They could do more, I think, and they, they, they may. But I think overall what they've done is so far from a sample size has been really good. Now, the one thing I will say, they need to use more play action. You saw those the completions that Lamar had some of the timing on those play-action plays really worked out well. And when you add that element in with the fact that they're already doing the read option, now you're going to have huge opportunities, huge windows, and even coverage breakdowns like we saw on the, on the throw to Andrews. So that was the one thing I would, would say is that in the first half of that game, not only did they throw the ball a lot more than I would have thought they would have, but when you're throwing the ball, it doesn't have to be a straight drop back every time. So 
using play action, I think almost every time right now is is the formula because that's how Lamar is also able to execute better. And they're able to take advantage of the run game. So that would be my biggest criticism. But overall, I think they're doing a very good job. I'd give them like a B and, like I said, a 78 uh, out of 10. Yeah, good points on what he's doing with Lamar because when you looked at the game yesterday, I think that you saw some opportunities out there on the field. And I think given Lamar's unique skill set, they're getting more and more one-on-one matchups on the outside, which is going to be good for him because he still has to learn. As we've seen, when he throws into double coverage – bad things can happen. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, you have to be able to take advantage of that, uh, and that's going to be the question. And when teams feel comfortable with just manning up the receivers outside, what's what's going to happen in those instances? Can he deliver the ball in those tight spots, in those tight windows? So the Ravens are 6-5. and five. They head to Atlanta. They've been home, Dev, for the entire month of November, so you can't say that they're road-weary at all. So they're heading to Atlanta, take on the Falcons, and the Falcons have been struggling as of late, and they're giving up 29.2 points per game at home. They're also the 25th-ranked rushing defense, and they're 28th overall on defense. What do you do with if, if Joe Flacco is healthy and ready to go against the Falcons? Do you play Joe, or you stay with Lamar? Because, in my opinion, winning on the road in December – you need to be able to run the football to take the crowd out of the game, take the big play capability away from the Atlanta Falcons in this case. Your thoughts on that? It's interesting because Atlanta is built a lot in a lot of ways, and they, their foundation is the Seattle defense. If you look at it, they're built that way, play a lot of cover three and a lot of cover one. Uh, but, you know, that's not a defense that's built to stop the run. And, and if you look at their defense, it's been decimated throughout the season with injury. They're a lighter front, but they have speed. But that kind of lends to another Gus Edwards, pound the rock type of game because he's an anvil inside. And now you see Ty Montgomery also bringing that same level of power. It's deceptive power, but he can bring it on the inside too. So I think if you're just looking at this game and 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 this is your season because every game is, is that now for them, their best formula still to me is to go with Lamar Jackson and to, to continue to run the ball. I agree with you that this formula has a lot better potential in the long run in this stretch for them. Time of possession is critical. They're winning that battle. They have been winning that battle quite easily. And against Atlanta, offensively, which we know they've got the ability to be explosive down the field, it, I think it just sets up better And uh, for a team that, you know, I think defensively like Atlanta has been kind of decimated this is the best way to kind of take the air out uh, against them. And I could see, I could envision a scenario where Joe comes back and is rusty and, and he might be right for being rushed. The pass rush, for example, the offensive line, the pass protection changes up. And also he could even be right for some mistakes in that game. Whereas I think if you keep the ball in Lamar's hand and you stay with the ground game, I think you have a better chance. Yeah, I, I agree with you. We'll see what happens. You know, we'll see if I don't. I don't see Joe as being a backup quarterback in the game either. He's going to be the starter, or he'll be inactive again this week. That's my opinion. Your thoughts? Yes, uh, and it'll be interesting. Is he recovered enough? <laughs> At that point, I think it could be just be. It could be convenient enough that he still isn't healthy enough, and at that point, be inactive. At to your point, because I I don't foresee him. That's another ball. That's another problem <laughs> together. That if he's 
going to be the backup and, and not willing to be a backup because there's easily a scenario in which we saw Lamar pull up on that 39-yard run. Uh, I think it was 39 yards. Yes. Well, what, what if that happens in the game, right? Is, is At that point, is Joe going to come in and are you feeling good about it? It's a tough, it's a tough call. Uh, maybe better off with RG3 coming in. It'll make for a lot of interesting discussion throughout the week leading up to that game in Atlanta. Just a couple of quick stats, though, Dev. In his first two starts as a Raven, Joe Flacco had a passer rating of 55.7. Lamar Jackson, 63.5. Plus, there's 200, nearly 200 yards of rushing offense that you add on to that. So I, I think it's – Lamar actually – because I wasn't a real fan of the pick, Dev, but he's doing better than I thought he would. You know what's interesting about that, Tony, is that 2008 team ran the ball really well. So that just goes to show you what that means in terms of context. This is kind of unforeseen from any NFL team in terms of how... Now, granted, they went up against like the two best scenarios you could absolutely picture when you're trying to get your run game going again, but I don't think that it's a mirage. I think that they're a very, very good running team with him, and a lot of that is because he's making good decisions with the read option. And and we'll see. Teams will adjust, but you know, I, I think fully that he has I think and I and I said it before he he started that this was gonna totally change and transform the run running game all the way and turn them into a more effective running game. Now the question is, you know, is that enough? And I don't think we have the answer to that just yet. So let's flip to the other side of the ball. We got, we're on defense against the Atlanta Falcons. They've got a lot of firepower on the outside with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, Muhammad Sanu. What are, what, if you're the Ravens' defensive brain trust and you're in that, that room, what kind of game plan would you like to see them put together for the Atlanta Falcons? Well, to be honest with you, I know we talked about this defense being conservative at times. Uh, and I thought they could have revved it up a little bit more against the Raiders. I don't think that's necessarily the best way to go against the Falcons. The teams that have been successful against them have played some more zone and just kept the plays in front of them and I think forced Atlanta to run the football, which they just haven't been able to do consistently without Devontae Freeman, who's their best inside runner. So I think you stick with that script, the, and you hope that Judon can build on this and that those front, de- those front defenders can get after it get after the quarterback without necessarily having to rely on extra numbers. And frankly, I think, you know, make shorten the field a little bit. And, and, and Atlanta has been one of the worst red zone offenses for a while now. And that's one of, that's been their Achilles heel. If you look at it, their last three games, I think they have scored 19 points or under, which is majorly underachieving for the talent that they have. So get them in the red zone, get them, force them to kick field goals and, also limit their, their their possessions, which you're naturally going to be able to do with the offense that the Ravens have been running. So the Ravens try to advance to 7-5. Will they get it done? I think they get it done. They're going to have to do a better job of taking care of the football, and they're going to have to generate a couple of turnovers. This defense needs to make a couple of uh, plays for once, which we saw them break through a bit. You hope they can build on that. But I do think they get out of Atlanta and they get the win. Atlanta's, Atlanta's a fading team right now. And you just got to play bully ball against them and, and force them into a street fight, which I don't think they're up for right now. Right. I agree with you. There he is, Dev Panchois from Russell Street Report. Dev, thanks for joining us. Thanks. My pleasure. Uh, looking forward to joining you guys again. Absolutely.
We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to sit down with Mark Viviano from WJZ TV. Don't go away. Like 33rd Street was to Colt fans, Russell Street will become legendary for future generations of Raven fans. Not only is Russell Street the team's address on Sunday, it's now home to the website voted Baltimore's best five years in a row. You've known them as Ravens247.com for years, and now you'll love them as RussellStreetReport.com for many more. There's nothing else like it for Baltimore football fans. Trust me, RussellStreetReport.com, Baltimore's home for football 24-7. Welcome back to the Russell Street Report. I'm Tony Lombardi. When we first started Russell Street Report, we actually started as Ravens 24-7. And one guy who was really instrumental in helping me get Raiders 24-7 off the ground with his recommendations and suggestions. Absolutely. Remember that day down in Bandaloops? Come a long way. I'll never forget it. I said, who's this crazy guy with his wild ideas? <laughs> uh, you, were, uh, you, you were ahead of us all in terms of uh, bringing more sports coverage to, uh, to the Internet. And, uh, and it's, it's, always, it's been a pleasure to see you continue to carry the ball as you have. Well, I appreciate all your support throughout the years. So when I think of you, besides that meeting at Band Loops and the advice you had given me at that time, I think of the Browns' move to Baltimore. A lot has changed since then in terms of how the media covers sports and covers the NFL. Can you talk about that a little bit and how maybe that move today might be covered a little bit differently? Oh, I can't imagine, Tony, to be honest with you. Yeah, I... I look back at that, and it was uh, it was quite a time, you know. And we're talking 20 years, but so much has changed in terms of uh, sports coverage and and how it's covered. That similar information today would be disseminated so quickly, like in in, in seconds, that even if you were the first one with the information it would become everybody's information in no time and you sort of lose ownership of it. And, and, and so that can be a good thing for consumers because they learn more, more quickly, but for individual reporters, I think you kind of lose, you know, the, the work that you do for some things that once you share them, everybody owns it. And it's not just about getting credit. It's about getting it right. And, that, that's one of the many ways in which our business has changed, there's no doubt. Um, but again, I, I go back to say that that is good for the consumers, those who want the information. It is immediate. It is pervasive. Uh, I think one of the other things that we run into uh, with that is that, you know, there are many lapses in accuracy, and sometimes that, that can, that's, a, that's a serious issue. Um, and there are there are concerns as to you know the credibility of some sources, but overall, you know the league has you know benefited from it. I'd say all sports have benefited from the proliferation of information and uh, how it's disseminated. It's made our work, for instance, my prim primary job at WJZ TV a little bit more challenging in that I certainly had to engage. Uh, in social media, and I, I've embraced it, and I enjoy it, and I like the, the, the interaction that comes with it. So, yeah, we, we adapt or we die, Tony, and uh, back to your original point about launching what you've launched, you've adapted, and uh, you've figured it out, and that's the challenge for all of us. Now, if the changes have also taken place in the NFL. I know that today a lot of people might say that it's a watered-down league, 
Some will say that some of the founding fathers or back to Pete Rozelle would be smiling because he, he achieved the parity in the league that he sought. So the Ravens, when you look at them since Super Bowl 47, they're sort of a, a model of mediocrity. They were right there at, what are they, are 46 and 45 or something close to that since Super Bowl 47. It's been a roller coaster ride for the Ravens ever since winning that Super Bowl. Talk about that and talk about the 2018 season as you see it today. Well, I, I think we have finally seen in his 11th season, John Harbaugh sort of concede to and embrace the very thing you described, as we have heard John say repeatedly, it's a 500 league. Uh, and you could put whatever uh, description on that that you want, mediocrity, parody, watered down, but it's the competitive reality of a league of 32 teams that is built for everyone to basically, basically be as close to 500 as possible. Then it plays itself out and you'll have you know, three or four teams that will distinguish themselves as, as uh, consistent winners and then those three or four who are consistent losers. And then you've got uh, eight coaches inevitably who lose their job at the end of every year. And it, it, it cycles on. And then there's a draft in which the teams that finish the worst get to draft first in an effort to make them back toward the top of the league. All that being said, you're right. Since winning a Super Bowl, the Ravens are that 500 team. Very, you know, undistinguished run of just one playoff appearance in five years and fighting and clawing like heck to get back and do it this year. I'd say my assessment of the team this year is, you know, I'll sort of rewind to the start and, you know, the drafting of a quarterback in the first round, it got a lot of hype, but now you see it's got a lot of legs, quite literally, those legs of Lamar Jackson and how he is carrying this offense and appears will continue to do so, maybe all the way to the end and possibly to a playoff berth. Um, but what they've been doing is scratching and clawing uh, amidst the muddle of mediocrity to try to be at least the, the sixth best team in an AFC where I don't even think there are six good teams. But they have to pick six of them, and you can be one of them, and once you get into it, there's no telling what sort of success you can have. So I would say in many ways this 2018 season for the Ravens has gone, I'm not going to say exactly the script because no one knew that, that Flacco would get hurt, but it's allowed the Ravens to begin making the transition to the quarterback of the future that they drafted in the first round. You don't draft quarterbacks in the first round to have them hanging around. You draft them to be uh, hopefully of immediate impact and certainly for years to come impact, and that onset has come sooner than many expected. So far, so good for Lamar Jackson, but the challenges increase as the schedule unfolds, but also what increases is his, his uh, experience and his ability, uh, you would think. So we'll see where it goes from here, but also rewinding to the beginning of the season, many of us you know, remember the words of the owner who said that uh, he pondered uh, replacing John Harbaugh at the end of last year. So we knew that he was on the clock, so to speak, that this had to be a playoff year, and Harbaugh, by the bye week, was already fielding questions about his job security. So he's, um, he's at the lead of this group that is clawing and fighting, in part not just for his survival, but for uh, you know the, the relevance of being a playoff team for the first time in some time. Speaking of the quarterback situation, Viv, there's this slogan or cliche called recency bias and what it really means is that things that happen most recently 
seem to carry more weight in a discussion. And, and that lends itself to the discussion of Lamar Jackson versus Joe Flacco. Now, if you'd said to me earlier in the season that Joe Flacco would go down for a couple of games due to an injury, I would have said, well, that's the reason they brought RG3 along. But that's not the case with the Ravens. They decided to go with Lamar Jackson. Now, Joe is trying to make his way back into the lineup, trying to get healthy. You know, it leaked out yesterday that he's not going to be available for the game against the Falcons, that Lamar is going to get the start. But once he's healthy, where do you think the Ravens go with the starting quarterback position? Well, I, I, my, my, my sense is, and I, you know, I, I wouldn't go to the bank on this because you never know. It's a league of week-to-week matchups, and it really depends who your next opponent is before you make a declaration as to you know, how you're best suited to win any particular game. That being said, it would appear, and if, if, it's, if it's recency bias that you want to label it as, then go ahead. It, it really doesn't matter. I really believe that Jackson is the one that has energized this offense and given them some level of hope and potential that as he becomes more comfortable running the offense, that they are a more productive offense. I mean, we've seen it, albeit against some pretty poor defensive competition, that, and that may be his ideal way to, to integrate him into a starting quarterback into the NFL, that he's more than capable. Are there rookie mistakes? Of course, because he's, he's a rookie, so that's going to be a part of it. You know, with Flacco, you could say recency bias is what has benefited Lamar Jackson, but you could go back over the last five years, and that considerably large body of work would indicate that Joe Flacco is kind of an average quarterback, if not worse. You know, if you look at some of his statistics and some of the output, and it's not all him. It's a football team. There are 11 guys on the field. He's certainly the most important on the offense, but there have been a number of failings around him. Uh, so, you know, I, I think the, the notion that Lamar Jackson remains the starting quarterback, provided he stays healthy and provided, provided that the matchups tend to favor his being in there, I, I think they go forward and don't look back. That's my sense. I'm not the head coach, but that's my feeling as I cover this team and, and see it moving forward to Atlanta with him getting his first road start. One of the other programs we have here on Phantom Radio is the armchair quarterback. And one of the things we talked about on that program this week was the idea of having both Joe Flacco and Lamar Jackson in the game, in the same game. Not the way the Ravens have done it with Joe flanked out wide, left or right, but actually running series of plays where Lamar actually has the offense and Joe's on the sideline and then Joe comes in. And the idea being, is there a way that Marty Morningway could coordinate the offense in a way that they can take advantage of another team's weaknesses both through the passing game and the running game while using both quarterbacks. Do you think that's something that's possible? And a second part to that question, do you think that's something that Joe Flacco would even embrace? Yeah, and that's a that's a, an important distinction, I would say, whether it would be embraced because it would it's pretty clear he didn't embrace having to stand, you know, far off from, you know, the line of scrimmage as, as a wideout who just stood there. Uh, would this change things for Joe? Would he be more interested in doing it that way? 
I think the greater question is the the viability of actually implementing a double quarterback running series through an entire game, given the amount of preparation that it takes uh, to run first team snaps for two different quarterbacks who run two entirely different types of offenses in what is limited practice time uh, against an opponent that each one you would have to factor in their strengths and weaknesses. So it's not like you would just kind of spin it forward and be the same thing every week. I think that would be a deterrent. Um, I think doing something that out of the box, I don't, I don't see that as a likelihood with this coaching staff and what's at stake with them. And then that being said, maybe when you're desperate, you do desperate things and you do so with the hope that that might work. You know, I've, I've, I've heard the theories posited that, yeah, two quarterbacks. I don't know that you could refresh my memory, Tony, that we've seen an NFL team do that, certainly with any regularity, running in two different quarterbacks to run entire series through a game. I think it's more something you might see in college. Uh, but, again, if you want to put your stamp on something different, uh, that would be one way to do it. I think the other thing would be, and I – and I was a little surprised I didn't see this in the Cincinnati game, was that, well, if Joe Flacco was inactive and RG3 is your backup and you've got a set of plays in which your quarterback can be involved, he could actually be involved, RG3. You could line him up as a wide receiver if you wanted to, to take a pitch or to catch a pass. And he's got world-class speed. He's not a statue like Flacco. Uh, so if you wanted to use a viable second quarterback, I would have thought that would have been one way to do it. Obviously, RG3 ran one in-motion pattern and dashed for, for a, a route, ended up on the bench, never to be seen again. So, other than holding a clipboard, uh, I think that's where RG3 is going to be as long as Lamar Jackson is the quarterback. And uh, I guess the same would be as long as Joe Flacco's the quarterback, if Flacco's the quarterback again. Speaking of dashes... You have to be pretty impressed with 36-year-old, he may be 37 years old now, Terrell Suggs picking up the fumble, dashing down the sidelines for a touchdown. I know it looked like he wanted to hand it off a couple of times to someone that he thought was faster, but he actually outran a receiver all the way into the end zone. What do you think about his chances of returning in 2019? Well, that's a good question. Uh, he, it appears, wants to continue to play football. Uh, would he be playing for the Ravens? And there's a lot of factors that would go into uh, whether that's the case or not. Uh, clearly, there's a regime change with a new general manager, the, the likelihood or possibility of another head coach, and the retooling of a roster with some older players uh, not coming back. And Suck certainly would be high on the list of those who, despite what you said, he's still got some ability or some speed, but he's just not – he's not – the everyday guy, no, none of us are, that we were five years ago. Um, so you have to wonder about the practicality of him continuing with a team that is going to be changing its roster, its leadership, maybe even its coaching staff. So um, I, I, put a, I put a hold on whether he continues here. Uh, but if he wants to still play, you know, that's another thing for another day. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But this is not to disparage what the man has done talking about Suggs in terms of his NFL career, which has him certainly in the conversation of Canton, Ohio. So, but it, we all reach an end at some point. I, 
obviously he's nearer that end and has put it off. He's put off the end. He's been he's had dirt thrown him on him for years now. So maybe he'll continue to prove that he's got a lot more in the tank than we anticipated. Speaking of some of the roster uncertainty, C.J. Mosley is a guy who's playing the final year of his contract. He's an unrestricted free agent when the new league year begins in 2019. Talk about him, his impact on the defense in 2019 and or 2018, and do you see him as being part of the Ravens' defense going forward? Yeah, that's another tough one. Um, C.J. Mosley clearly, when fully healthy, is one of the best in the business at what he does, and he's integral to this defense. He's a leader. He's all the things that you want from someone that you drafted out of Alabama with the pedigree that he has. He's lived up to it. But what you've also seen at times is, and many guys try to play hurt, and you, you applaud them for it, but he's he's been beaten a number of times in ways that, if fully healthy, just wouldn't happen. Um, he's due a significant contract, uh, provided that uh, he's going to get it from somebody, you know, whether it's the Ravens or not. If it's the Ravens, it, it, we fold back into that conversation prior of, you know, where are you going? What is your roster going to look like under new leadership and Eric DaCosta? Um, what is your allotment of money? Do you have a lot? Do you want to give a lot to C.J. Mosley? There are more questions than answers on that one, but I would anticipate that uh, Mosley would get um, a contract to stay here, barring some other team really wanting to really drop a lot of money on him to where it became uh, less desirable for the Ravens to keep him. I know one of the things that the Ravens are likely to do this offseason is to try to put together a roster that's a little bit more exciting with some playmakers because that's been a criticism of the Ravens that they've been kind of a humdrum team. And attendance seems to reflect that. You know, the eyeball test tells you that attendance is off about 20%, sometimes 25% in games. Talk about that. And if you could also let us know if does is there a corresponding bump in TV ratings because attendance seems to be down league-wide. Well, I can tell you that um, TV ratings league-wide are up. The NFL is having a strong year on network viewership. In fact, the Thanksgiving Day game between the, the Redskins and the Cowboys rates is, they were at 30 million viewers, which is one of the highest regular season rated games in a long, long time. And overall, there's been a bump in uh, TV rating. Locally, I can tell you that the Ravens do very well on WJZ. Um, there, there are some concerns, and I can't get into the, the, the meat of the numbers, regarding the demographics of who's tuning in, the, the sort of stuff that you sell to, um, uh, to, to advertisers. And I, that's not my, my area of expertise. Uh, as far as in the stadium, you know, yeah, it's noticeable. I just think, Tony, and I, and I mentioned this at different times, so the Ravens are 22 years, more than two decades into their, their existence, and times have changed, as we talked about in the media. They've changed in terms of lifestyles and what people do with the time that they have, and time, certainly, uh, we're used to more immediacy with our time. If you go to an NFL football game, it doesn't have to be a Ravens game, it's anywhere and you are prone to the experience of a game that includes tailgating, that's a six hour plus day for what, how many, how many minutes of action? 
that you actually, the ball's actually in play. Right. And I think more people are finding it just easier to stay at home, watch from the comfort of their home with instant replay and, and a bathroom nearby. And that's the challenge of the league and the Ravens to try to get people off the couch and into the stadium. And they've done any number of things to try to enhance the game day experience. I, I'm not an expert in what it would take. Uh, I was just talking with some people the other day. I, I've covered the NFL for, for a quarter century from the press box. And I'm not really looking forward to or wanting to or have it on my bucket list to go sit out and see. I just don't. But that's me. I'm not, you know, I've had a, a, a blessed life of covering sports, so I look differently about it. And, and I'll never tell anyone uh, how to spend their money or how to prioritize their time. But that is the charge of a league that is trying to get more people to show up for their games because the TV makes it awfully simple or easy and convenient for them to watch it at home. Shifting gears, Viv, John Harbaugh, he is sort of the de facto CEO for the Ravens, and he's the face of the Ravens, particularly since Ray Lewis has been has departed. Looking at the Ravens now and you know, thinking about their playoff chances, because they're they're kind of 50-50 in my opinion. But could you see John Harbaugh surviving another non-playoff season? No, I can't. I, I don't see it. In fact, you could make the argument that even if they do make the playoffs, this you know, the Harbaugh run may have run its course. And that there may be that wouldn't be unprecedented. Tennessee Titans made the playoffs last year, won a playoff game on the road, and still changed their coach. Right. Uh, and it's an even different story when you're talking about a guy who's been here 11 years, uh, and you're talking about a new general manager, a new quarterback, that it just may be part of that transition that you bring in a new head coach. I could see that. I, I could definitely see that. And that is not to disparage the accomplishments of John. I mean, he's he can stand on his record as one of the best of his era, uh, and, and the record will show that. But there does come a time when times change, whether it's players, coaches, fans. I mean, we've, we've talked about a lot of transition here uh, in a franchise that's relatively young, but in the NFL, it's, you know, it's yield not for long, right? And 11 years is long. Um, I, I could definitely see that transition take place. Um, at the same time, I always have to allow the leeway that he could be back, too. I mean, I could see that. I mean. Maybe I'm at a point of covering this team and this league that nothing surprises me anymore, so I don't speak in any absolute stuff. Okay. You know, you say times change, and then there's a time for a change, and that may be the case with the Ravens. So moving on, let's talk about the Ravens. Right, right now they sit at 6-5. and five. They're heading into Atlanta, hopefully to move to 7-5 and five and improve their playoff chances because they've got to take at least two of those three on the road. But... Could you envision a situation where an AFC team finishes nine and seven and still makes it into the postseason dance? I can see it. I mean, nothing. Nothing. There's nothing that impressive about the group of teams toward the bottom that are trying to claw their way into a one of those wild card spots, and there's two of them. So yes, I mean, again, in the week to week, I mean, Denver in consecutive weeks beat the L.A. Chargers and the Pittsburgh Steelers. What was Denver before that? Now all of a sudden, they're a up-and-coming hot team. Um, Tennessee, the team that the Ravens beat 20 to nothing, and appeared they look like a high school team, 
They're in that conversation. Really? Uh, the Indianapolis Colts, who are riding a winning streak right now, and they've got a good quarterback, uh, maybe that they're in it. But none of them overwhelmed, nor do the Ravens. But they still have five games left, and that's where you can change the conversation and the perception, and most importantly, the record. So it's a muddled mess. Uh, it tends to be, and it's very much like it was a year ago, Tony, when the Ravens were 4-5 and five at the bye, facing a schedule that had a number of winnable games, in the case last year, it was against a number of quarterbacks who were backups. In this case, you know, it's against some defenses that are just pretty unimpressive. Oakland, Cincinnati, Atlanta, even Kansas City doesn't play great defense, but they offer some other obvious challenges. And then ultimately the Ravens are going to have to win a road game or two here to really show that not only are they playoff worthy, but capable of maybe winning a playoff game at some point. So, um, the, the, the league is mediocre or 500, and there's still a quarter of a season left to change a record. And I, you know, that's why we watch, and we're going to find out. But nothing surprises me in terms of, you know, a team possibly making the playoffs at nine and seven. That would be, that would be par in my, in my estimation. This weekend, when the Ravens go to Atlanta, Jim Nance and Tony Romo are on the call. What have you got going on at WJZ TV this weekend? We get a lot, Tony. Uh, Saturday night at 11.15 is our Purple Preview show. Uh, we'll get into a lot of the matchup and uh, you know what, how the Ravens are stacking up. Certainly a lot from Lamar Jackson, and we'll know for sure by then that he probably will be the starting quarterback. Uh, we'll air the game on WJZ, kick off at 1 o'clock, immediately followed by our uh, post-game show. Condre Ismail will join me uh, to uh, analyze, uh, show highlights, uh, reaction from the team, and uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a full weekend. It's interesting. I think there's going to be a lot of interest in this first road start by Lamar Jackson against uh, what could be a formidable opponent. Uh, could be. Atlanta's record doesn't show it, but certainly their offense can put up some points. And we talk so much about the quarterback for the Ravens. It's really on this Ravens defense to show, too. Uh, Oakland moved the ball, I thought, at times with some ease. And that's not a very good team. Uh, it could be a different story in Atlanta in time for the Ravens' defense to show that it's playoff worthy as well. Agreed. Ben, thanks for joining us here on the Russell Street Report. Really appreciate your time. My pleasure, Tony. Always a pleasure. All right, take care. And that's our Russell Street Report for this week. Thanks for tuning in here on Fanimal Radio. Be sure to check out our other Fanimal Radio programs, such as the Armchair Quarterback and Music Fanimal. So until then, special thanks to Dev Pantois from Russell Street Report and also Mark Viviano from WJZ-TV. We'll see you next week.